The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 9. It's on page 933 on the Bible under your seat. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning to you. Happy New Year. My name is Justin Curtis. I serve on staff here as one of the pastors, uh, and it's good to be in the room with you. I want to start by just congratulating you, um, not merely for braving the cold weather to be in the room, uh, but also for the fact that you made it through that really awkward, weird week between Christmas and the New Year, right? It's, it's a week that is made for procrastinators. Um, in all honesty, there's too many leftovers and too many suspenseful Hallmark movies to watch to actually start anything new. Um, but if we're honest, by the time we hit Christmas, we have a really good idea of what it is that we want to accomplish, right? How we want the next year to look different. Um, but how many times did you find yourself this last week saying, I'll, I'll do that next week, right? The answer is, who cares? It doesn't matter, right? It's that weird week. Uh, but here we are now uh, at the beginning of a new year. And the beginning of the new year often comes with a variety of different emotions to it. Uh, here's a picture of the wall calendar that's in our office right now uh, on the other side of that wall. Man, it's a clean slate. And some of you, you look at that and you see 12 months, right, 52 weeks, 365 days of hope, right? It's a new year, so many new opportunities. You're excited for a fresh start. You're ready to get after it and tackle whatever obstacles come your way. How many of you are the optimists in the room? By the raise of a hand. Thank you for being around the last couple of years. We've needed you. Um, others of you, you look at this exact same calendar and you see... 12 months, 52 weeks of the same old, same old, right? You reflect back on 2020, 2021, and you're like, that looks like death by 365 paper cuts, right? <laughs> How many of you are the pessimists in the room? Or the realists, if you don't want to call yourself a pessimist, that's fine, okay? Hey, you keep us grounded and we're grateful for you, all right? Others of you, you turn the corner into a new year, and you're just exhausted. Like you're just spent. The last year just took everything out of you and you're turning the corner and you wish you had something to muster up strength for a new year, but you're just tired. Well, wherever you're at, um, we're grateful that you're in the room, grateful that we're kicking off the year together. Um, as we move into this new year, as a church, we're gonna be resolved to the same mission that we've been about for the last dozen plus years, right? As a people who have been called by God 
who have been saved by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ, as a people who were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins and who have been given a new life in Christ, as a people who have been entrusted with the gospel, right, and the call to put the kingdom of God on display for the world, our mission is going to be the same mission that it's always been, and it's this. We exist to worship God, make disciples, plant churches, and spur gospel renewal everywhere, right? That's our church's mission statement. That's what we're about. If you're a part of this community, uh, that's what you're about as well. Now, how about you? Do you have any new New Year's resolutions, anything you want to resolve to this next year? Are there any things that you want to, you want to give yourself to a deeper and fuller way in 2022? Right behind every New Year's resolution is a simple truth that, that also lies at the heart of spiritual formation, right? Spiritual transformation, even. And it's this truth you will never be who you're not becoming. You will never be who you are not becoming. You will never be the father. You'll never be the sister. You'll never be the student, the, the employee. You, you will never be uh, in the, have the fitness level that you want to have unless you're becoming that type of person. You will never be who you're not becoming. One of the things I like to do each year is, is pick out one or two biographies. It gives me a chance to read about the lives of people who uh, I respected over the years or who I'm just interested in. This last year, I read the biography of Dallas Willard. You might not be familiar with Dallas Willard, but he was a professor of philosophy at USC for a number of years, probably most known for his writings on spiritual formation, wrote the books uh, The Divine Conspiracy or Renovation of the Heart. Um, and his biography was entitled Becoming Dallas Willard, which I thought was a really fitting title for someone who wrote so much on spiritual formation, right? Because Dallas Willard knew that you will never be who you're not becoming. So pause for a moment, and in light of that truth, think, what do you need to give yourself to in a deeper and fuller way to become the person that you want to be? It's the question so many people are asking this time of year, and it's the question that I want to spend a few minutes just reflecting on together here at the start of the year. Right, as uh, Dusty said, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and go there. Uh, 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. It is located in the New Testament following the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's called a pastoral epistle because it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, not to a church community like Romans or Ephesians or Galatians is, but it was written to a young pastor, Timothy, who Paul had mentored in the faith. And again, let me just remind you, read it again. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What I want to do with our short time together is actually hone in on four words that we see at the beginning of verse 7. And it's these words, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Because here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, right? Because you will never be who you're not becoming, we need to train ourselves for godliness. And I want to make two basic observations of that statement. One, this training is proactive. And two, this training is purposeful, right? This training is proactive and purposeful. All right, so let's talk about the training being proactive. Uh, According to Donald Whitney, who wrote this excellent book entitled Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, we have this book available out at the resource table. Uh, A number of you have read it. I recommend it if you haven't. He says in this book that there are two change agents that God primarily uses to mature us and to grow us in godliness. One of them is circumstances, and the other is spiritual disciplines. Circumstances are reactive, right? We react to things that are happening in our life, while spiritual disciplines are proactive. It's something that we give ourselves to. Um, I would argue as a church, we are very well prepared um, for the reactive side of our growth in godliness. If you just think about it, the gospel community that many of you are part of has been built with the purpose in mind that we would have space as a community to talk about how does the gospel apply to the real-life circumstances that you're facing in life. We want to create that space on a, on a weekly basis because God uses our circumstances to grow us in godliness. In mid-November, my wife and I, along with a small team from, from Coram Deo here, uh, went to the Dominican Republic. Uh, And our time down there had a threefold purpose. Number one, we were going down there to reconnect with some of our church planting partners uh, that are on the ground in kind of the villages around San Juan in the middle of the island. Two, uh, we were going down there with Zsa Zsa, who's a member of our church who is getting married to one of the missionaries who who, uh, serves down there. It was a whole lot of fun. And then the third purpose of the trip was we all tacked on a few extra days at the end of it to go to an all-inclusive resort to get a little R&R at the end. Which, if you know much about me, you realize, like, I'm made for all-inclusive resorts, right? I just, I just love the all-inclusive experience. If you've, if you've had it, there's something that's just good for my soul to be able to get up from the beach and to go somewhere where somebody's preparing food for me, not having to think about making any sort of financial transactions. Anyways, I love it. Um, but this trip was unique because the day before we were scheduled to leave, I remember turning to my wife and saying to her, I'm ready to go home. Like, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I want, I'm, I'm excited to get home. So we left our lounger chairs right next to the ocean. And we, uh, we went back to our, our hotel room uh, there at the resort. And, and there was a voicemail encouraging us to call the, call the front desk. And we called the front desk to get word that my wife had just tested positive for COVID. Which means um, you're not flying back to the United States, Right. And it also means that you're quarantining in a, in a room for 10 days. Uh, so that's where we found ourselves. Uh, we found ourselves in the Dominican Republic, underneath their protocols and their rules, quarantining in a resort room that was about the size of half of this stage. 
Again, this, this is days after we had kind of gotten a sense of all that the resort had to offer, right? We spent 10 days in that room, me trying to care for my wife while simultaneously trying not to get COVID. Um, when we got the news, it was, it was really kind of a tough pill to swallow. Um, we had to make phone calls home, let uh, grandparents know, hey, our, our five kids, they're still under your care. <laughs> God bless you. Um, right, we had to let our kids know we weren't coming home for Thanksgiving, like we were supposed to be home for Thanksgiving. I had to let our nine-year-old know we weren't gonna be there for his birthday, right? Significant things, right? That it's a tough pill to swallow. Now, don't get me wrong. We were in the Dominican Republic. We had room service. Like it could have been a lot worse, um, but it's not what we wanted. It was the circumstance that God gave us. And Tracy and I, after we'd got done making those phone calls, we, we kind of connected with one another, and we both kind of had the same thought at the same time. And it went back to a sermon that Pastor Bob had preached here at Coram Deo as we were working through the Isaiah series. And it was just this idea that when difficult circumstances hit you in life, which they will, uh, the question to ask is not, why is God allowing this to happen? Rather, the question to ask is, what is God doing in this? Right? That two completely different ways to approach difficult circumstances. And, and asking the question, what is the Lord doing in this, was really good because it really opened us up to consider how is God using these particular circumstances to grow us in godliness? One of the things we were able to see was just the church be the church, which was really encouraging, to see, see people rally around our parents and our kids to provide care and support and meals and all that. I'm super blessed by that. And there was a number of other things that we experienced. But God will use. Here's one thing I can guarantee you as we turn the corner into a new year. God will use difficult, unexpected circumstances in your life to grow you in godliness. It's going to happen. But what the Apostle Paul is inviting us into, right, in 1 Timothy 4 is not just a reactive posture to growing in godliness, but a proactive approach to training, okay? Um, the word train in this text is translated from gymnazo, which is where we get the word gymnasium. Uh, in a number of other translations, it can be rendered uh, to say, exercise yourself or discipline yourself for godliness. Uh, the instruction here is to take the spiritual disciplines, God's means of grace in our life, and to exercise them, to work them out, to take Reading the scriptures, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, worship, serving others, doing life in fellowship with one another. These means of grace, we are to exercise them and work them out as a way of proactively growing in godliness. Listen to what Donald Whitney had to say. He says, the spirit motivates and enables us to train ourselves, but he doesn't do the training for us. The practical day-by-day -day obedience to the command is our spirit-empowered responsibility. The key to cultivating practical godliness in real life is discipline, intentional, ongoing participation in the God-given means of grace found in God's Word. John Calvin, an old French theologian and pastor, said this when writing in his commentary on this passage. For when he says, exercise thyself, he means that this is his proper occupation, his labor, his chief care. 
as if he had said, there is no reason why you should weary yourself to no purpose about other matters. You will do that which is of the highest importance if you devote yourself with all your zeal and all your ability to godliness alone. I turned 40 last year. One of my goals in turning 40 was to run a marathon uh, during that year, and uh, I did so with my brother. Uh, We ran the Monument Marathon out in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. I should say my brother ran ran the marathon. I survived the marathon. There may have been some jogging and walking and stumbling, um, but we got it done. Uh, Here's what I can tell you about running a marathon. You have to proactively train for it. You can't just show up at the start line and, and, and hope you're going to be able to accomplish 26.2 miles. You've got to put in some work. Um, so we had trained for it. Uh, we, we got out there the night before the race started. We were kind of having some fun driving the course. And I remember turning to my brother. and I said, hey, we came all this way to Scott's Bluff. Let's just go win. Like, let's go win the marathon, which is audacious, right? Like, that's not going to happen. Uh, but like, we're, let's just go win. And as I say that, we start driving down the hill, and coming up the hill in the other, other direction is two Kenyan runners just sprinting up the hill, right? One of them is Alex. I brought a picture here. This is my brother with Alex. He won the marathon, not my brother, Alex. Um, Alex is a professional runner. It's his vocation. It's what he gives himself to. And here's what I can tell you. Um, his training, Alex's training, looked a lot different than Ryan and I's training. And you can say John Calvin tends to overstate things, is a little too aggressive in the way that he says things, right? You wouldn't be the first person to say that in the course of redemptive history. But here's what he's getting at. Your training in godliness, because godliness is at stake, should look more like Alex's and less like Justin and Ryan's, okay? It's this proactive, intentional engagement with training. Because you'll never be who you're not becoming. Train proactively. Okay? Train proactively. But, like I said, we see in this text that training is both proactive and it's also purposeful. So let's take a look at what does it mean that training is purposeful. Back to the text. It says, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The purpose of training, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is to be a means towards the end of godliness. They are a means to a greater end. And let me be very clear on this point. Spiritual disciplines are not marks of godliness in and of themselves, right? We've been uh, working our way as a church this fall and will continue in the spring through the Gospel of John. And as we've been studying through the Gospel of John, we see different characters that are or they're coming alive in the narrative. And, and one group of people that we see in the text are the Pharisees. Now, these were people who were zealous about spiritual disciplines. They knew their Bible. They prayed regularly and intentionally. They fasted. They tithed. They worshiped regularly. They engaged the spiritual disciplines with a fervor that would shame most of us. But yet, as Jesus is engaging with them and showing us something about them, we find that they are actually the epitome of ungodliness. They had mistaken the spiritual disciplines as 
godliness in and of themselves rather than a means to godliness. Our middle school and high school students here at Coram Deo have had a head start on this idea of spiritual disciplines over the last semester. Uh, They spent some time uh, each week studying a different spiritual discipline and working out the dynamics of what's it look like to put it in practice. So they've had a head start. One of the definitions that they used for spiritual disciplines was this, and I found it to be very helpful. And so this definition, spiritual disciplines are a good means towards the greater end of knowing enjoying and becoming more like Jesus, right? I'll say it again. Spiritual disciplines are a good means towards the greater end of knowing, enjoying, and becoming more like Jesus. That's what the, tr- the purpose of our training is, is to grow in godliness, right? Becoming the type of people who know, enjoy, and are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Now, how does this happen practically, okay? Um, One of the tools we use around here at Coram Deo to help people to understand the gospel and what it means to grow in godliness is the cross chart. A number of you are familiar with it. Some of you, this might be the first time looking at it. This diagram doesn't say everything about the Christian life, but it does serve as a helpful tool or illustration on how the gospel works. We see here on the chart that the, the starting point to the Christian life is when you first become aware of this gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And you experience conversion when you you put your hope and your trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done to bridge that gap that we can't bridge on our own, to bridge that gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. Yet at at the time of conversion, we actually have a, a pretty small view of the gospel. And as we continue to grow throughout our life and even put the spiritual disciplines into practice, a couple of things become uh, made aware to us. One, that there's this growing awareness of God's holiness. And additionally, there's this growing awareness of our own sinfulness and weakness, right? It's one of the byproducts of spiritual disciplines is that those two lines continue to diverge away from themselves. And this leads you to see all the more your need for the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit in your own life, right? See, as you understand these two things growing, you see that your enjoyment of Christ, your, uh, your knowledge of the gospel continues to grow. So you can see the spiritual disciplines in and of themselves will drive us to a bigger understanding of the gospel, but the gospel also drives us to spiritual disciplines, Right, Because see, the good news of the gospel did not just end on, on the cross on Calvary. The good news of the gospel continued when God sent through Jesus, and Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to be our helper. And if we're going to have a conversation about spiritual disciplines, we need to have a conversation about the enabling power and fuel of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Right, The Holy Spirit in play, in, in, within our hearts is what gives us the desire to pursue spiritual disciplines and the fuel to remain engaged in the disciplines in a purposeful and proactive way, which is good news because it means that for those of you who tend to struggle or easily get defeated when it comes to engaging spiritual disciplines, you don't need to wallow in your own shame, but you can embrace this as an opportunity to just repent and to lean even more fully into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your own life. 
See, it'd love for us to be the type of people who saw spiritual disciplines, particularly even as an opportunity to enjoy the fresh empowerment and presence of the Spirit in our lives, even as we're practicing them. You see, if the spiritual disciplines are an end in and of themselves, like if the end of the road is just to do the spiritual disciplines, that's going to lead to a very duty-driven approach to them, right? It's going to lead to more drudgery and death than it is anything that's really life-giving. But if, if spiritual disciplines are a means that the Spirit of God wants to use in our lives to grow us in godliness, it means that they become Spirit-filled grace to us. And it's an opportunity and a place for us to experience the Spirit of God. Many of you know that I'm a big fan of the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, as our kids were growing up, uh, we would read aloud those books together. Um, and in one of the books, Prince Caspian, there's this short little dialogue between Lucy, who always seems to be in tune with spiritual things. Like she's just, she's the type of character that's always really sensitive to the ideas of hope and faith and love. Um, and there's this interaction when she stumbles upon Aslan, who's always represented in those books as the Christ-like figure. And they have this interaction with one another that really surmises this book, Prince Caspian. And the dialogue goes like this. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Doesn't that sound like the cross chart? Right? Doesn't it sound like just this idea that as we grow, Jesus and the gospel looms larger and larger in our own life? Because you will never be who you are not becoming, train proactively, but also train purposefully with the end of godliness in mind. So I want to I close, if I can, by simply... Um, giving you three spiritual disciplines that I want to encourage you to have on your radar as we turn the corner into the new year, okay? Three spiritual disciplines, uh, perhaps to consider what's it look like to grow in each of these areas. Here's the first one, Bible reading, Bible reading. Um, what is one thing you can do this year to improve or to increase your intake of God's word? Now, I, I love being a part of this church. I love the fact that this church preaches and teaches through the Bible. Um, but I want you to see that as the Bible coming to, to you rather than you coming to God's Word. And I think you need to have a purposeful plan for what it looks like for you to proactively go towards God's Word this year. May I recommend a tool that I really like is the chronological uh, reading plan. We have some copies of that available on a table that's near the offering box on the way out. Uh, this chronological reading plan, I tend, to, I tend to like more because it just works through the story of redemptive history in the order that the events took place. If you're newer to the Bible, um, as I was a number of years ago, it was kind of surprising to realize, oh, this, this isn't just like reading a story where like it just continues to progress as you go through. The Bible's actually a collection of 66 books that were written at different times um, for different purposes, and, and it comes together to be this, this, this beautiful collection of, of God's word to us, but it, but it doesn't read 
in a chronological fashion. Yet this reading plan sets it up to where, hey, it gives you the scriptures and stuff to read each day and to see the story of redemptive history, the story of the gospel unfold in God's word, okay? And here's the, here's the reality when it comes to engaging the Bible. This may come as a surprise to you. I know the first time I heard it, it did to me as well. 10 minutes a day, and you can read through the entire Bible in a year. 10 minutes a day. Hey, there's, there's some of you in this room who've like never read cover to cover through the Bible, and you're, you're in your 60s, and, and, and that just seems overwhelming. But I say, you, just, you can start now. Like, you can start engaging with God's Word now. I remember when I was first uh, reading through the Bible, um, I, some, some men here around the church, and it was reinforced in seminary, they basically said, hey, the first time you read through the Bible, it's not going to make much sense to you. The second time, eh, a little bit more. You're going to start making some connections. By the third or fourth time you read through the Bible, it's really going to start coming alive. So have a healthy expectation for what it looks like to engage God's Word, but be purposeful in your engagement of it. Okay? Uh, the second discipline I want to encourage you with is prayer. Prayer. Um, what's the next step that you need to take to cultivate a life of prayer? Richard Foster, in his book, uh, The Celebration of Discipline, it's another great book, he says this about the, the essential nature of prayer in the life of a Christian. Prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Meditation introduces us to the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means, meaning fasting should always be attached to something else. Study transforms our minds, but it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. So what do you need to do this year to take a tangible step to cultivate, cultivate a life of prayer? Um, if I may, I want to invite you to join us um, every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, out the atrium, across the walkway there in the library, we host a prayer gathering from 7 until 7.30. It's an elder-led prayer gathering. Each one of the elders takes a different day of the week, and we gather for just a short 30 minutes at the beginning of each day uh, to pray on behalf of the church for the things that are going on in the life of our church and for, for our city and things that are going on globally. Um, and I want to encourage you to join us in that time. One of the ways that you grow in praying is by praying with other people, Right? One of the ways that you grow and cultivate a life of prayer is by praying with other people. And one of our longings as elders here at Coram Deo is that when God looks down on the people of Coram Deo, that he would see a people of prayer, people who are committed to the work of prayer as a way of fostering spiritual transformation and deepening our communion with the Lord. So tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., perhaps this year, and again, realistic, right? We, we just a moment ago, I said 10 minutes a day. I'm reading the word. What if it was just one day a month? One day a month, right? Set realistic goals as we're engaging spiritual disciplines this year. Small steps. Here's the final discipline. Sabbath. Sabbath. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of, the, of our time together that some of you are turning the corner this year and you're just flat out exhausted. I don't think we often take seriously enough the pace of which our lives run. 
we move really fast. Just as a culture, we move really fast. It's one of the things you notice when you get into a different area. Man, spend seven plus 10 days in the Dominican Republic, you realize, oh, other, other cultures move a little slower. Uh, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. So we run at such a pace that our souls can't help but be hurried. They can't help but be hurried. And, and a hurriedness, kind of a hurried state of being, has a way of disconnecting our communion with the Lord, has a way of disconnecting our communion with one another, has a way of disconnecting our own attentiveness to even the work of our own soul. So may I encourage you this year to cultivate the discipline of Sabbath. One day where there's no work and there's just playful recreation and rest and worship, right? It would do you good. It would do your soul some good. It's important for us to reset, right? Just, just a healthy rhythm and pace of life. And if you're asking the question, well, what, what is it? Um, what counts for Sabbath? What doesn't count for Sabbath? Don't overthink it right? Just take a day, don't work, and enjoy rest. Because you will never be who you're not becoming, train yourself proactively and purposefully for godliness. See, the Holy Spirit is wanting to drive you to God's Word, is wanting to drive you to prayer. The Holy Spirit is wanting to animate you towards a life that enjoys Sabbath, joyful rest. The Holy Spirit does not speak a voice of condemnation to these things. He doesn't say you should do this, right? It's a different voice. The Holy Spirit speaks words of encouragement. His voice is you can do this. And the Holy Spirit, right, is animating you this morning in these directions. That sense of like, yeah, I want to more deeply commune with the Lord and engage in the spiritual disciplines. That's the Holy Spirit moving you in that direction because he loves you and he's committed to your growth in godliness. So let's be a people who at the end of 2022 look back on this year and say together that the good news of the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ got bigger for each and every one of us. Let me pray towards that end. So good Father, we praise you for being generous and for giving us spiritual disciplines as a means of grace. Uh, They help us to grow in godliness. Thank you for the Bible, your written word, through which you reveal yourself and the good news of the gospel to us. Thank you for prayer by which you meet in fellowship with us. And thank you for the joy of Sabbath rest. As we turn the corner into a new year, may our training for godliness be far more apparent than our training for lesser things. And may this be a year in which our passion for the gospel grows because we find ourselves knowing, enjoying, and becoming more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.